is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full-Time Travel, and every other Thursday, I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. My guest today is the composer and songwriter Cheryl B. Engelhart, whose new age ambient music has been featured in films, ads, TV shows, and on meditation apps like Insight Timer. Cheryl began music lessons as a toddler. Since then, her career has taken her all over the world, but it's always been unique places and experiences that inspire her most creative work. Experiences like a nine-day cross-country train trip from New York to Los Angeles and back, during which she composed and recorded her new album, The Passenger. With nothing but a laptop and a USB keyboard, Cheryl created 12 tracks while passing incredible views and roving wildlife. In this episode, she shares highs and lows from that journey, which served as a creative experiment and an opportunity to process grief following the recent loss of a dear friend. Plus, we discuss the magic of train travel, how being physically in motion gives us the momentum to get emotionally and creatively unstuck, and the importance of relinquishing control in travel and in life. This episode is sponsored by Los Cabos, the Mexican destination where you can have it all and more. Normally, I like to jump in with the question, where did your love of travel originate? That's a great question. I did not travel a lot as a kid, so that's not the answer, (laughs) which (laughs) probably is a lot of people's answers. It's not mine. Right after college, I was invited, well, my first job out of graduating was doing scuba diving research for the government. I was a marine biology major, but I also double majored in music. And I always thought that was just a hobby until I got asked by a friend of a friend of my mom's to go to Rome, Italy for a month to help video some footage for this website that he was designing and put some music on those videos for the website. And so I went to Rome and the the hotel that he was creating this website for happened to be owned by the Vatican. So we stayed in a monastery. And it was, I mean, as someone who had never really traveled, I think I went to London with my mom and sister once visiting friends, but I'd never really done anything on my own. So it really was like, oh, is this what music can take me to? Okay, I'm listening. So that was that was the first kind of travel bug of completely wild experience that was not anything of the norm for me. So I think that's where it started. Yeah, that's a very unique experience. Fascinating. And then tell me about your musical side. How did you get into music in the first place? I'm guessing it's something you did since you were a kid. That I have done since I was a kid. That that was the the kid thing. I started taking lessons when I was really little, like two years old. Um, just, I mean, my my parents said that they took us took me to a friend's piano recital, and I was like listening. I was sitting in the row in front of my parents, and they were whispering to each other, like, "Look how look how intently she's listening." And I turned around and put my chubby little finger over my lips and was like, "Shh," and like hushed them to like not talk over the piano. And they were like, "How did she know that that's like that what?" Anyway, so there was something there, and I ended up working with that teacher for many years. And I went through phases where I hated playing the piano, and I would try to, like, I hated the word Tuesday because that was when piano lessons were. I never thought I could love Tuesdays ever again. Like, I was super dramatic about it. 
But yeah, in, in high school, I started doing the musicals and, and acting and being in madrigals and choirs and acapella groups. And I, I went to Cornell, which is like a big acapella dork college. And I was, you know, <laughs> got into that world there. And yeah, one thing led to another. And it just kind of kept evolving into film scores and commercial writing and working with social justice choirs. And now, you know, I toured with a pop band and now it's like my new age meditation ambient music. So yeah, you have a really interesting like array of different areas that you've you've approached in your music. Is that normal for musicians or is that just something that you've carved out for yourself? Um, it's not not normal, uh, but some people do kind of stay the course, especially inside of a genre. Like I am a country artist or I am a hip hop artist. And for me, I I because I was kind of not planning on this, like I didn't grow up with pictures of rock stars, posters of rock stars on my walls. Like it was dolphins and whales and wolves. And, you know, I was, that was my, I was going to be a scientist. And so it was kind of, I was my, all my twenties, I just spent saying yes to things that sort of popped up. And that's kind of where I ended up letting my career go until I really was like, okay, what do I want here? And let me generate what's next. So I think for me, because I got started in advertising, it was my first job really in the music. I mean, it's not a music industry, but the, the entertainment sort of content creation. There were so many styles that you had to be able to create um, for whatever commercial came in house. And so I was surrounded by these composers at this jingle house that I worked at in New York City that could work out a, a jazz a track. House? A jingle house. A, a jingle house. They're, that's what we call them. They're, you know, the, <laughs> the people that write the music behind the commercials. Sometimes they're jingles, like actual words, but other times it's just the you know, the the underscore music that you're hearing when you're seeing the Lowe's commercial or the Honey Nut Cheerios commercial. Yeah. So, But wait, there's like a house of people who just create jingles? Yeah, many of them. Really? That's so fascinating. Like now they have, you know, how like TikTokers all have those like content creation houses and they all go to kind of work together and help each other gather content and, and make videos. Yeah, I mean, like they're that? businesses that their job is to create the music for the commercials. And then there are editing houses and they call them houses, but they're, you know, they're big buildings okay. in Manhattan. So you're um, not actually living there. It's just no, like no, 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 where no, you work. No, it's okay. just I was picturing them, like yeah. a load of people who specialize in jingles all living and working together <laughs> under the same roof. But that would be fun. I would go <laughs> stay in that house. Yeah, no, they call them jingle houses, editing houses. Um, There's just an advertising lingo. Got it. Yeah. Businesses. <laughs> Yeah, not nearly as cool as that, though. I like your idea way better. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so your genre is new age. What does At that mean moment. exactly? Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I, I didn't know it, but I was, I've been into new age forever. I, I've always been a fan of Enya, and she's kind of the mm -hmm. queen of new age. She's won multiple new age Grammys. And the the genre itself is really one to me of about the process of creating the music and the intention of it. Is it for healing or mindfulness or um, there's something a little more global um, and humanitarian about the genre to me? And it's not so much about, you know, when you hear a, a pop song, that's like a breakup song. It really dictates like even if you're not going through a breakup, you're kind of you're like walking down the grocery aisle and you're kind of getting teary because you feel like the song is dictating the emotion. But I think in New Age, it's really about the music providing a space for you to experience whatever you need to experience. At least that's my intention when I'm writing this music. So it's a lot more, a lot more instrumental. It's a little more peaceful. It's not so melodic. Like it's not usually something you want to like pump at a party or sing along to. So yeah, that's kind of how I define New Age. And are you from New York originally? 
I grew up in Connecticut very close, like two minutes from the New York border. And then I've lived in New York ever since. And you're in the Hudson Valley now with your husband. Right now I'm in the Hudson Valley. Yeah. I love Hudson. It's so lovely. The town and like that whole area is beautiful. Was that a pandemic move or were you living there before? I was living there before. After I graduated Cornell, I moved down to the city to get all these variety of entertainment slash uh, advertising industry jobs. And I lived in Harlem for 12 years. And during that time, I was touring with my pop band. I had like four piano pop, you know, kind of like Sarah Burrell's Sheryl Crow albums out. And I was touring and I met my husband. He was in the audience of one of the shows up in Maine that I was playing. So we did a long distance thing, you know, New York City to Maine. And I think he would have chosen Maine if he had a choice and I would have chosen Manhattan. But I was a hard note of northern Maine and he was a hard note of the city. So we we landed in the Hudson Valley. We've been here about nine years. Oh, wow. People talk a lot about New York City being a place of great inspiration because there's such a distinctive energy here and so much going on and so many such an intermingling of different types of people. But do you think you find it more inspirational to be in the country where it's quieter and you're close to nature? No, I, I definitely get that that energy in New York City. I, I've recently realized that I do really well just in a unique space of composing, which is part of the this new train record. And it, my first New Age album was done in a two-week composer residency in a tiny mountain town in Greece. Um, and it, I don't think it's country versus city. It's just, for me, like experience. And I think I've kind of overused that word, but it really, it, when I'm having experience, I think that that's when I feel most creative, but I think I can, I, I mean, as a, as a film composer and as a commercial composer, you like when it's your job and you have a deadline and you have to get this music done, there's, it's not like I wait for inspiration. I sit down and I create something like that period, end of story. So I can do that when I'm, whether I'm in my studio here in the country, or if I'm at a co-working space in the city or someone else's studio. So let's talk a bit about this train journey that you took. When did you first get the idea for it? The beginning of December, 2021. So just you know, less than half a year ago, I was looking to get by my flight out from New York to Los Angeles to attend the Grammys because I'm a voting member. I wasn't nominated this year, but I still wanted to go. And the flights were, for some reason, they were just so expensive. And I don't know if it was the day I was looking, but I was just in a mood where I was like, I'm not paying this much. I'm going to take a train. Ha ha ha. And it was kind of just like a silly, moody, like, what if? And then I was like, but what if I did? <laughs> and, and it was one of those ideas. And I went down this rabbit hole of cross-country train trips. And I've always loved trains. Had a train set when I was a kid, like a big one, took up a whole room. Like I, I've toured with my band like seven times through Switzerland and Germany, all just using the trains there. I love the train, even just from Manhattan up to Poughkeepsie along the Hudson River. I mean, I just, I'm always just feel so relaxed. It's the only mode of transportation where I don't get seasick or carsick or like nausea. So I like, for some reason, there's something about trains that I like my body likes. So I went down this rabbit hole on overnight train trips across the country and realized there are four different routes and looked at which could be the coolest and the pricing and all this. So I was like, all right, let's just, uh, let's book a train out. So I booked a train out. I got a flight back and I decided that I wanted to go through the Rocky Mountains because I heard that that was just really exquisite landscape. And so that it would be a five-day trip. It, I would change trains twice, so it would be three different legs over the five days. And then I would end up in Los Angeles for the Grammys. And a few days after I booked this train trip, I was like, well, what if I tried to make an album on the train? Like, well, <laughs> this is a weird idea. Let's, let's, what if I did that? And then I, the idea just stuck. And then it just became, okay, well, I'm not 
going to do any preparation. I'm going to bring my laptop and my little keyboard, my headphones, and I'm going to make an ambient album using only sounds inside my computer, just synthesizer sounds, not recording. You know, I didn't bring any instruments to record because I didn't want to, you can't disrupt the passengers. So it was all inside the computer. And uh, so that, that was the start of that. I mean, there's a lot more to what ended up happening, but that was that was where the idea came from. I have so many follow-up questions. <laughs> the journey, <laughs> sure. but, it's um, not normal. I know that you also, if you don't mind talking about this, you also lost a dear friend around this time. Can you tell us a bit about, about that and how that affected you? Yeah, so sort of that, you know, the discovery and of the trains and that this was a thing was part one of the story. And then, you know, that was all of December. And then we come into January 2022. And right in the beginning, we had this peak of COVID and the Grammys got canceled, uh, postponed till April 2nd, you know, three months later. That same week, um, one of my very best friends who I've written, written a musical with, I knew for nine years, uh, he passed away from cancer. And both of these things were sort of sitting right in front of me, like, do I cancel this trip? And because of COVID, there wasn't going to be a service for Kevin until later in March. So it, I was supposed to leave on January 22nd. So I was about 10 days out from when I had gotten the news to when I was leaving. And I decided to keep the ticket. And I'm so glad I did. I'm really glad I did. It was such a, a really good way to get out of my space of grieving and into just being with just the grieving and also getting a rest because you literally can just sit or lie down all day long and have people bring you food and then but also be traveling traveling for me is always like takes a lot like I'm not a travel bug I just happen to do a lot of traveling and I'm good at it because of music but it always takes a lot of energy and this was the one way that I felt like I could rest and not exert a ton of energy but also see the country passed by at 80 miles an hour while lying down. It was just, it was really extraordinary to be able to be with a lot of really big emotions that I'd never been with before and just have a little space to sit with them and process them and create. Yeah, train travel is kind of a, a gentle mode of transport as well, which is nice. But yeah. I had something similar, like I, I actually lost a really good friend at the start of the pandemic who was only 34 and suddenly from heart failure. And then that was like, ended up being a string of losses <laughs> for the first year. So it was awful. But then ultimately, my husband and I decided to go on this big cross country road trip. And I think that there was something that you said then about, you know, I don't know, giving yourself the, the headspace, I think, to rest your heart. And I felt really like stagnant in my emotions and just stuck. And I think it was partly the grief and partly just being, you know, it being the pandemic and being stuck in the same space day after day. And I just was like, I can't be here anymore. But the process of physically being in motion somehow like helps move you out of that stuck grieving space into a new kind of headspace, if that makes sense. And maybe that's the space to create from, you know, it's easier to create from that space. Yeah, it was, I mean, it really, you're nailing the nail on the head. I mean, I think that just moving through literally while you're doing it emotionally and figuratively, mm. I think just that alignment felt really supportive. My dad passed away about nine years ago and everyone that I knew was like, you're going to write so many songs. It's going to be so, and I'm like, nope, like it just didn't. Like I, you know, and that whole like grieving turns into creativity. Like, yeah, sometimes maybe. And you know, this time I kind of was like, well, I'm not going to be writing lyrics It's because it's an ambient album. I'm not going to be recording vocals. So like 
what else can get expressed? How else can this? And I, I wasn't, I didn't set out to create a record to process my grief. I do know that there are songs there that are, feel more like lullabies or that feel like, you know, more ambient tracks to listen to while you work. But I did notice that the tracks that I wrote, tracks also known as songs, but I think of songs as having lyrics. That's why I call them tracks. The tracks that I wrote right when I woke up, I, I, every time I closed my eyes, I had a dream. He was in my mm. dreams. And I did not sleep well, so I would like open my eyes and then I would like fall asleep for an hour. And it was like every, it was like multiple so you were different remembering dreams. Remembering lots of dreams, yeah. So many. And I was remembering them. And so I would wake up and I could tell that the early morning songs were definitely more melancholy and had a lot of space. And um, I, I named, at the time, I didn't have titles for these songs yet. I was going to include my fans later and let them hear like uh, minute snippets from the songs and, and give, and they filled out a form with like what images they say. So they helped me title these tracks. So I just called them the time of day that I wrote them. So like Sunday breakfast, Monday sunsets, um, Tuesday early or too early to wake up. You know, I had like these little kitschy names, but basically, but I could tell that the morning ones were really where the healing was happening. Mm. Let's backtrack a bit and talk about the logistical side of this journey. So I can't imagine how you would create an album. <laughs> I mean, what equipment did you need? How did you have to structure your days so that, you know, you wouldn't interfere with the experiences of other passengers? Yeah. This is a great question. So I knew that I wanted my own space. So on Amtrak, you could get a coach seat or a business class seat where you're with other passengers. You could get a roomette or a bedroom, or I think they also had family rooms, which are bigger bedrooms. So I got a roomette, which basically is a small room that you can close the door to. It's kind of like Harry Potter style. Like you walk in and there's two seats facing each other. You can fit one person on either side. And then an attendant comes at night and turns the bottom into a bunk. And then there's, they fold down a top bunk. Love I ended that. up, that sounds wonderful. It was super fun. And I thought the top bunk would be really fun, but it's a little more narrow and it's a little more, there's more movement the higher you get on the train. So I ended up just keeping the bottom bunk a bed the whole time and just sort of sat up in it in the daytime. You can go to the dining car. There's also an observation car, which does have other people. And it's like sort of more glass windows and tables and things. And when it wasn't too crowded, I went there. But, you know, it was COVID. So I wasn't it, this wasn't one of those train trips where I was really looking to engage with other people, although I know that is a big part of a lot of people's train trip experiences. But I did stick to my room most of most of the time. Uh, there's, a, you know, you just there's a huge window. The whole wall is a window. My room was always on the bottom floor. And anytime we had a five-minute stop at a station, I would go out and wash my windows <laughs> so I could see through. And so I got so many jokes from, like, the attendants and other, like, come do my window next. Are they paying you for that? <laughs> but, I I mean, they get dirty really fast. And I was like, laugh if you want. My videos are going to be better than your videos. <laughs> You're going to have streaks on your videos. So I just, you know, I created this little space. I had a whole duffel bag of, like, throw pillows and blankets and candles and things to like make my the space my oasis and um instagrammable and you know all the all the things that I thought would would make it feel like home but also not just like I'm in some clinical kind of everyone's been here room so the room allowed me to do a lot of the work I was always wearing headphones so there was no sound coming out of my system so what I had was my laptop I had a little keyboard that USB keyboard that had about 16 keys that I could play in and I would tell the program I was using on my laptop, okay, if I play this on the piano, I want it to sound like a harp or I want it to sound like this cosmic synthesizer, like beep, 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 beep. Um, and so I could dictate what the sounds were and then play them through on the piano. And then I was hearing it all through my headphones that were plugged into the laptop. 
Um, I mean, I brought the whole little setup to the observation car. People were like taking pictures of me. They're like, what are you doing? Someone in a Amtrak group was like, I see you composing, but I don't want to bother you. Because I obviously joined all the Amtrak fan train fan groups on Facebook and shared about the project. So so logistically, it was pretty simple. I did bring a microphone in case I was inspired uh, by the train sounds and, you know, the wheels and the horns and the, you know, toots and all that stuff. I was not. It was just a lot of noise. I did not think I needed to be really on the nose with the train thing. That was the process. And I ended up the first day, I, I sort of had three ideas that kind of just came out. They were very different. So I made them three different songs. And then I just kept going. And I was really all about not being perf- perfect and like letting my perfectionism go and just saying, okay, I have five days. I wanted to have at least seven tracks on the album or 30 minutes of music total. So then it would be eligible for a new age Grammy, which means I needed technically only five tracks and or 30 minutes of music. But I, I like the number seven. I ended up writing 12 pieces of music, narrowing it down and then editing on the way home down to nine. Because when I was about 18 hours in, I canceled my flight home and booked another train trip back. Because you I knew loved I would, it so much. Uh-huh. And I, it was that. And one of those times I woke up in the middle of the night with the moon shining into my room, I just got this very clear message that was like, you have more to learn. And I didn't feel like I needed more time for the music. I just felt like I wasn't done with the whatever the experience was. And and I was right, because when I got off in Los Angeles, I ended up staying with my sister for two days who lives there, stayed with her for two days, didn't open the computer, didn't listen, to, like didn't touch the music because I really was committed to having all of the music edited and composed and re- recorded and done on the train. And I just was so ready to get back on the train. Like I was in Los Angeles. I was like on solid ground and like the low grade nausea was gone and it was great. And I was like, no, I want to get back on. So yeah, you asked about logistics in my setup, but I tangented there for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was perfect. As you're composing, were there ever moments when you felt stuck? You know, like, I don't know what the musical equivalent of writer's block is, but did you ever have that? And if so, how did you work through it? Yeah, writer's block is definitely a thing for music. I, like I said, I did write 12 pieces of music and there was one of them when I was like, this is awful, but I'm just going to keep going with it. And if I kept going, I knew I could create something else and maybe I could let that one go that just wasn't landing. And that's what I ended up doing. So I really had to, and it's, which is not, some people write a hundred songs and then record 10 of them. Like they're 10 favorites. I've never worked that way. This is my seventh album. All of my albums, I wrote songs for the album and like worked them until they were album ready. So it was really interesting to do that elimination process um, and sort of let go of this baby that you had created at some point and thought it was cool for a little bit and then listen back and you're just like, no, 100%. No no one's going to want I don't want to hear this again. But I mean, the, the, the album is called The Passenger. And that was that came from the idea of this trip. But also I pick a word of the year. And the word of the year is always something to kind of inspire me to do the work that I need to do for myself. And this year, it really was letting go of control going with the flow. And I was kind of thinking what what's a good word that embodies that. And when you think of someone who's like a master passenger, just leaning back, trusting the driver, like trusting the schedule, confidence, kind of just able to go with the flow, I think of, you know, passengers, the word that came came to mind. So it was a really good practice for me to really align with, you know, the word passenger while I was letting these things kind of pass. 
Relax your mind, body and spirit in naturally open spaces or set off in search of fast-paced adventures. In Los Cabos, you can have it all and more. Luxury villas just steps from the beach. Luxurious, all-inclusive resorts that look out over emerald green golf courses and endless views of the crystal clear Sea of Cortez are just the beginning. Find a special offer and get more out of your getaway at visitloscabos.travel forward slash featured dash offers. That's visitloscabos.travel forward slash featured dash offers. And you mentioned that there are several different routes you can do across the country. So I don't know anything about, about train travel really, except that there was a viral article a few years ago by a guy who did basically what you're doing. And I remember him saying, I mean, it cost him like such a small amount of money compared to what it would normally cost for him to go all the way across the States. And it was a big hit. But yeah, so I didn't realize there were different routes you could take. Can you talk us through how that works? Yeah, yeah. I'm curious what what guy this is. I am technically the first person to make an album on a train. Um, Many people have been inspired and written songs, but then recorded them later. So, but the, the four routes, so really, so from New York, there are a couple different ways, but you end up in Chicago and then everyone changes in Chicago and Chicago is really where the cross country stuff starts. So you can go super north um, and you end up going through Glacier National Park, which apparently is also super beautiful. That was an extra day or two. And I didn't want to be out that long. Then there's the second one just south of that is the one that I did, which is the California Zephyr. All of the trains have names. And the Zephyr goes from Chicago straight through to Sacramento. And uh, and I changed in Sacramento. So it goes through Denver and, and sort of that that part of the Midwest. And then you can also do one, and this is the one I took home, which is the Southwest Chief, which goes from Chicago straight to Los Angeles, like if you think of the diagonal line. So a little more through the plains, through the deserts of Arizona and down that way right to Los Angeles. So I took that way home. That's one day shorter. So it's four days. And then the most southern route you can go is um, all the way down to San Diego, which can come back up to Los Angeles, but um, through Texas, New Orleans, and you can go up the East Coast corridor. So instead of going to Chicago, you can you can go to Chicago or you can stay on the East Coast. And then, of course, there's the all the trains that go from Florida up to D.C. to all the way through to Boston. You can go up into Canada that way. So, yeah, I went from the Poughkeepsie Station in New York to Chicago, changed to the California Zephyr changed in Sacramento, got on a, a, I think it was only 18 hours straight down to Los Angeles along the coast of California. It's so cool. I would love to do something like that. I feel like it's a very bucket listy thing to do. How did it compare to to driving? I don't know if you've ever done that mm-hmm. route across the country, but I feel like Americans love to go on road trips, right? So you probably Yeah, they do. I did one right after college to San Francisco and back to New York. And I've traveled out to, my husband is a mountain guide and he, for a while, for several years in the summers, worked in Jackson Hole, Wyoming in the Tetons. So we did that New York to Jackson Hole drive a couple times. Um, so I, I, and I, and I've toured a ton across the country, not doing the full cross country trip, but I, I driving. I here's the here's the whole like. I am not a good passenger. <laughs> the irony of the name of the record. I am a backseat driver. I am that person that gasps when a leaf flows flies across it. Like my husband hates me being in passenger. I hate being in the passenger. And so I'll, if I'm driving, I'm pretty good. But then it's exhausting, and you have to just be on, but you're not moving at all. Like your body is not. So I, 
I um, would take a train over driving any time of the year. I mean, I was talking about this trip to several people that I know, and they're all like, they thought it sounded claustrophobic or like, like their worst nightmare, right? And I am just like, totally get that. You don't have to come with me. <laughs> In fact, you're not invited. Um, but I, I mean, the country is beautiful. It's really crazy how it goes from like rivers and plains to mountains and foothills to palm trees and beaches like in in a span of days so it's it's cool to be able to see that I felt like I saw that in a train and I'm like why bother driving also trains are one-third the amount of carbon footprint than a plane or a car per passenger so that's that. something worth considering for sure was there any scenery or particular experience while you were aboard that influenced any of the tracks directly? When we got from Denver, when you leave Denver, which is completely flat, and you start to climb into the Rocky Mountains, my room was on the side of the car, where when I look out the window, there's like a hill, and it's snowy, right, because it's middle of January, and the Colorado River was like right there, frozen, with snow on it, and I looked out the window and I saw it first before I heard it because the conductor was really excited about this too and got on the loudspeaker and told everyone. But there was a herd of about a hundred elk running across the Colorado River. And I got some beautiful footage, but I literally started crying. It was so like I had already put my headphones and my keyboard down. I was just like my glued to the window. I could not. It wasn't like I was looking at scenery. I was in it like I was part of it. And I, I my car was. um I could, when I looked out the window, I could see the curve of the train in front of me. So I kind of got like what was coming next through the train. And I just really saw the train was part of the landscape. And the ton- there are 47 tunnels that you go through in the Rockies, which is like just you're so part of this. So I definitely like when we got through that section, I think it was a couple hours of, of just being along the side of the Colorado River. Um, I got really excited. I thought I saw a wolf and then I realized it was like a park and it was someone's dog. But you know, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so I, I did an Instagram live of like, uh, I thought I saw a wolf, but it was just somebody's dog. I thought I saw a wolf, but it, I had a whole I thought I saw a wolf, but it was just somebody's dog song, um, which did not make the album. But I, I do have a track that's called The Zephyr Remembers which is on the on the album. And that was really kind of, there's a little bit of a and I have a Grammy winner, Sangeeta Carr, who just won a Grammy literally uh, as a vocalist. And she, I sent her the instrumental part of the track that I did uh, and then sent it to her while I was still on the train, like <laughs> emailing her MP3s during the station stops when I actually had Wi-Fi. And then she sent back uh, this beautiful vocal. So she's on that. There are a couple other other people that collaborated as well. But um, so she's on that Zephyr Remembers track as well. Oh, I love that. Looping back around to that previous question about how is it different from road trip travel? I wonder if it's also partly to do with completely relinquishing control. Like when even if you're a passenger in a car, you know, you're still being asked for directions or, you know, keeping an eye out for hazards deciding where to stop for lunch like that's when me and my yep. husband drive I'm always like trying to look up the next stop you know yeah <laughs> um, yeah exactly whereas with a train you can like really be present more easily which I think probably lends itself to creating something like yeah I think you're I think you're totally right I think with driving I mean like I said I did it was an eight-hour drive long distance with my husband for four years that was our our relationship so like driving is like I'm good at it. I've driven, driven in like really bad snowstorms. Like I'm comfortable driving, but there is, and yeah, and even as a passenger, there's always something to do or look out for, and you have to be on this high alert. And I just, I actually don't think it's great for 
your nervous system, a sustained level of alertness like that. And it is a life or death alertness too. Like you lose it for a minute, you're driving off the road. So that I think that what I needed was to regulate my nervous system rather than activate it. And I think being on a train, I know being on a train versus driving. I mean, I wasn't interested in driving across the country to get to the Grammys. I was, you know, being cheeky when I thought, let's take a train. And that was the only other option, really. Did you have Wi-Fi while you were on the train or did you try and kind of disconnect as much as possible? I tried to have Wi-Fi for like a, a minute and then I was like, this is not happening. And I don't think it was was consistent. What I was able to do was create a hot spot for my computer if I needed to email a track from my computer, from my phone. And it only worked when we were stopped. And uh, I didn't try very hard. I think that I might have been able to, um, but I really didn't need it. I did want to disconnect. I was, you know, I was using my cellular data and doing some like a little bit of Instagram. Like Each day I posted an Instagram reel of like all of the highlights from the day, um, which I, I, those five reels, I actually love them because they're such one minute little that each day is summarized in a minute and really got the the change of the scenery. So those are on my my webpage, which I'm pretty psyched about. But other than that, I really I was fine disconnecting um, and and using the cellular data hotspot during the little breaks that we had at different stops and stations. How many times did you stop and get off the train and have some time to kind of regroup before the next leg? Yeah. Uh, so the stop in Chicago was like a six hour layover. So it was like everything off. You know, you can sit in the lounge there when you're in a sleeper car, you get access to all of the Amtrak like fancy lounges, which give you food. And on the way home, I had a I think it was closer to seven hours. So I actually went up the needle in Chicago, like walked across, like I left the station, like left my stuff in the locker in the station. I showered in the station. Oh, that's the beta right there. Don't shower on the train. Definitely don't shower on the train while it's moving. I don't know why that's not like, considered a hazard. Like I was like, people must die doing this. It is so dangerous. But you can definitely shower. Shower when it stops. But shower at the station in Chicago, like Chicago Union Station. It's delightful. So yeah, so I had the most time there. I had an overnight in Sacramento. So I actually got a hotel room because I arrived at 6 ish in the evening and the next train left at six in the morning. So I was able to, I just walked through Sacramento and got dinner and then just slept. Um, so that was the timing for that overlap, but everything else, they were many stops that you can't get off the train. They're just, you know, literally letting passengers on or off. And then probably every, at least around every hour ish, there would be a little bit longer stop, like I would say between one and three hours. I shouldn't say every hour. Uh, and when we got into the Rockies, it was like, we're not we're not stopping for any reason. Although there was a freight train thing that happened and we got rerouted to Winter Park and actually got to stay there for two hours at the base of the ski resort, Winter Park. So yeah, I, I would say like maybe three to six times a day, you could actually get off the train and have 15 minutes to walk around. There was this lovely little old lady who would get off and offer to take people's pictures. And she was so sweet. And by the time I got to Sacramento, the attendant, I saw the attendant like gathering up her stuff. And I was like, oh, what are you doing with her things? And he was like, she didn't get back on the train after our last stop. She was like too schmoozy with people and like totally missed the call to get back on. So I like never went far from my window. Like I said, I spent most of those stops washing it. Was all the stopping and starting? Did that impact your sleep? How did you yes. rest? Yeah. Yes. Because it was all through the night. It's all through the night. The night, I mean, it's they're called limited. So we're not making like every local stop. So, you know, but we, you know, it was 
from Buffalo, Rochester, Buffalo, Cleveland, a couple stops in between there. Those were all in the middle of the night. And the stopping, it's it's a gentle stop and a gentle start. The thing that interrupted my sleep, I'm a really light sleeper anyway, like the lightest, even with earplugs. Um, the thing that interrupted my sleep was anytime that they the train was coming up to a road crossing, it would have to blow its horn. And that was, and my car on the way out was close to the front engine where the horn was. So that is what I oh my was God, like. That's so annoying. <laughs> and I'm awake again. And it was a full moon on the way out. So the, And I was on the side of the moon. So it was just, I would wake up and it was like a spotlight was in my room. So it was just like, and we're awake. <laughs> Great. But I really was okay with it. I was just like, I'm going to rest. I know my body's resting. I'm not moving. I'm not stressed. I'm just like, it was so unique. And it was kind of like, I had this like little kid giddiness about it, even though I was kind of like, really again, another road. Is anyone there? Do we really need to honk this time? <laughs> but you kind of go with, go with the flow. Yeah. Well, did, did the sleeplessness impact your creativity at all or no? I don't know. I do okay with not a lot of sleep because I generally sleep really well. So when I show up and there's things like this, I, I run on adrenaline a little bit. I, I think there was definitely some, just like the creative juices were flowing. And I, maybe just because I said so that they had to, <laughs> but I, I, I don't know if I would have written anything better or worse if I had had better sleep. Um, I didn't get up in the middle of the night and write. I really did want to like attempt to rest. So I didn't, you know, open my computer or anything. I didn't have any like 3 a.m. writing sessions. I did stick to the the daytime writing. And do you remember what it felt like when you finished the final track? Yeah, the 12th track. Well, the 12th track was one of the tracks that I ended up ditching. <laughs> so oh. when I finished it, I was like, I was like, man, that wasn't great. But I was like, I do have 12 tracks. I have like, I definitely have more than, and I was like, I had a book. I keep notes on like what key they're in and how fast, like, just so I can remember like, which one did I like and which ones do I want to go back and edit? And so I like, you know, wrote in a note, like question mark next to it. Like when I go back to my binder, like from the beginning, that was a question mark one. There were six that was question marks and I ended up editing three of them to make them, you know, album worthy. So yeah, so it was mixed feelings. It was like, ah, I, I have 12. That's great. That's definitely more than I needed. And also that one, me. <laughs> Oh, and which is your favorite track? I have two favorite tracks. They're the first two tracks on the album. One is called The Light That's Left. Um, and it's definitely the more, a more melancholy. The I mean, one of the things about my friend Kevin Archambault is that everyone that knows him, he's directed thousands of people in shows and he's a choreographer and um, everyone calls him just this light. And you walk into a room and you feel like you're the only person in the world when his light is shining on you. So there's a whole bunch of light stuff. I brought this little globe i know listeners can't see it but it's a little moon globe with me um that has like a little remote control and i can light it up so i didn't know what the lighting would be like in the room so i just brought this thing and there would be times when i was like had a thought of him or something and the light would just like it would turn into a strobe light which is not even a setting and it was so like very clear to me that he was there that he left this light behind so i i called this the light that's left as in like the light that has left meaning he's left or the light that has been left behind the light right, that, that is remains. left so it's a little play on on that word so that one is definitely like that was an early morning track after a dream you know so it's very that is very much embodying him and then my favorite other favorite track is the first track which is called the beautiful bridge and that phrase came from a conversation i had with my friend lily hayden who is a Grammy-winning New Age artist and violin player. And she called me after she found out that Kevin had passed away. Um, and she said, 
she was talking about her mother who had passed and she, who she's very, like, was very, very, very close with. And she said, now we have this beautiful bridge between us and the spiritual world. Like, before someone passes, you don't really have a connection to that realm. And I thought that was just a really cool way to think about death. Um, so I said, can I take that phrase and use it? And would you want to do something if I can create a track for you when I'm on this train trip? And she's like, sure. What? Yeah, OK. <laughs> it was like I hadn't even like really planned anything yet. Um, but that was, you know, over a week before I left. And then she sent violin and a vocal track, which I wasn't going to have. And just sort of doing some oohs, odds stuff that's way in the background. And it just was so I'm just floored and honored that that she contributed to this album so that track is like the first two tracks are really really special just musically they do a lot of cool stuff and uh, emotionally i think they they really did what i needed them to do i can't wait to see what how fans respond and how the listeners respond because it's such a unique story and i think you know as with any piece of art the story behind it also really impacts how the the viewer or the listener or whoever like receives it, receives the art, you know, and takes it into their heart. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm curious to know when you look back on your feelings and your emotional state before you departed for this trip, how did you feel different when you emerged the other side? Mm. I was really mindful before I left to not put any expectations on anything. I, the way I had sort of announced it to my fans and on Instagram was kind of like, I am going to attempt to be the first person to create an album from start to finish on a train. And I always use the word attempt to really set up the expectation that like, this may not happen. Like, I don't know how this is going to go. I know how I write and I know that I can write quickly and I know that I can write in small spaces and all the things. So I had a feeling it would be fine and maybe it wouldn't be the best music, but I actually think this is some of the best stuff that I've ever written. Um, so I, I, but I didn't do any preparation at all. I really wanted to just leave the experience for the second I got on the train. So beforehand, I kind of was this like blank, like what throw pillow do I need to pack? Like I was really staying surface level fluffy in terms of what I let my mind go to. And then when I got back, I was kind of like, oh, crap, I did it. <laughs> and and my birthday was a month later. So I left on January 22nd. I basically had the idea December 22nd. I left January 22nd. My birthday was February 23rd. Um, so I said, OK, let's get it to the master engineer, the the person that kind of takes all of the tracks and make them the right volume for Spotify and Apple and, and, and is the last touch before you actually upload and distribute your music. And that's not something that I do. And it's not something that I could have done on the train. But um, so they they take she it was Kim Rosen of Knack Mastering and she took the finished stuff. And then we sort of go back and forth and make sure that the the sound of the whole album is cohesive and everything. So I wanted a mastering date on my birthday. And then a month later, March 22nd, the first single came out and then we're releasing it April 22nd. So in a span of idea to release, it's a four month project, which is extremely fast for a record release cycle. But I I was kind of like, I did it. I'm, I don't want to sit on it. I, I kind of just need to get it out. Um, I think it's the same with like grief feelings, like especially once you kind of realize you're going through certain phases, you're kind of like, OK, cool, let's move on next. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I got into go mode when I returned. I was like, let's we've got to we got to do something with this now. I think this is special and I think this might provide something for somebody somewhere, maybe. I love it. Cheryl, where can people find you on the Internet? 
I, I keep talking about Instagram, CBE Music, pretty much everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, and that's my website, cbemusic.com, which, you know, will have all the links to purchase it. Um, purchasing is the best thing you can do for an indie artist on iTunes or Amazon. It helps get things to the charts. It's not expensive. That's my favorite thing to do. But yeah, CBE Music, everywhere you go. Perfect. Thank you so much. You've been amazing. I really found this story so interesting. I love that you just went ahead and did it. And the result, I'm sure, is going to be amazing. I can't wait to listen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Um, before we jump off, do you have time for a quick fire round? I would love a fire round. What's the one thing every person should experience in their lifetime? Love. What's the one thing you never, ever travel without? My microphone. Top tip for getting creatively re-inspired. Set a schedule and stick to it like your life depends on it. <laughs> I like that. I like that you said before, like, you know, you have to get, sometimes you just have to get the job done. And so you just have to do it. You don't always have to wait for inspiration to strike you. <laughs> Butts, butts and seats. Yep. Yeah. If you could teleport anywhere just for the day, where would you go and what would you do? A castle somewhere. And I would read in a big library in the castle. I love that answer. Favorite destination to listen to live music? Lucerne, Switzerland. I performed at a festival there. It's pretty awesome. You're looking at mountains and lakes and outdoor, like old stone amphitheater. Uh, other bands, everyone sounded amazing. Do you have a recommendation for a book, a podcast, or a film to stay entertained on a long journey? Hmm. This podcast, obviously. 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 <laughs> um, and I love anything by Elizabeth Gilbert. Big Magic, Eat, Pray, Love. I definitely eat, pray, love myself across the country on this trip. Love it. What is next or where is next on your bucket list? I don't have a bucket list, but I, I'm, I am going to... Ireland to stay in a single room castle for a week and do a little bit of my own writing retreat. So my, I guess castles are on the mind. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. We'll be back in two weeks time with more inspiring travel stories for your ears. In the meantime, you can learn more about us by visiting fulltimetravel.co or following us on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. If you have a story you want to share on the trip that changed me, drop us a line. And please be sure to rate, review and follow so we can keep this adventure going. <laughs>